Amen. Thank you, brother, for that. It's good stuff, man. I enjoy uh, singing about the grace of God, singing about the life that's inside of me. What a blessing that truly is. I can't think of a uh, anything better to sing about than the amazing grace of God that's brought new life to the believer. And so uh, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much for that new song. If you've got your Bibles tonight, and I hope and pray that you do, please turn them with me to 1 Peter chapter number 4, and we're going to look again at verses 7 through 11. Before I get started uh, there this evening, you probably noticed that Bible school is upon us again. We usually don't have uh, tigers in the foyer, and, and uh, all the stuff that you've seen probably downstairs where the uh, ladies have been working today decorating the church, but uh, the reason being, Bible school is here again, and man, we're thankful for that, and we're excited about that. Bible school is always a great time uh, for all of us here at Mount Zion, especially our little ones. And so I uh, can't wait to see what God does in the lives of our young people uh, this weekend at Vacation Bible School. Now, everybody in here knows somebody that needs to be in Vacation Bible School this weekend. It may be uh, uh, some of your neighbor's kids, or it may be some of uh, uh, your nieces or nephews or cousins or whoever it is. You know somebody that you can invite and be a part of VBS, and all of that's going to begin here Friday evening starting at 6.30, so it'll be from 6.30 to 8 o'clock Friday night, and then from 8 o'clock to 3 o'clock all day Saturday, and so I'm asking that you get the word out, you let people know that we're having Vacation Bible School, folks, I would a lot rather preach the gospel to kids at this age and reach them when they're this big than wait till they get this big, can you say amen? The earlier we can get to them. Um, the, the longer we have to teach them what it means to serve Jesus throughout their life. And man, that's always exciting for me. Uh, I, I'm encouraged by what Jesus told his disciples. If you remember, there was one time when his disciples wouldn't allow the little children to come and see Jesus. But Jesus always made time for the kids. And he said, you let those kids come and suffer not the little children to come unto me. And so folks, we want uh, to bring as many young people to Jesus as we can possibly uh, bring. And so please, this weekend, I invite someone to come be a part of our VBS. Maybe you need to go pick them up and bring them and make sure that they get here to Vacation Bible School, but make sure they get here. They're going to be shown the love of Jesus. They're going to be told about the love of Jesus. They're going to be given the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how many of you know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God? And that's what uh, Vacation Bible School is all about. So Remember that this weekend. Be praying for that this week, uh, that the Lord would work on the hearts and lives of those whom he has coming, and the Lord would also be working in the hearts and lives of the workers for Vacation Bible School, whether you're teaching or working or whatever you're doing, uh, that God would just use us to be the hands and feet of Jesus and make a difference in the lives of these young people that will be here Friday and Saturday. But that's going to happen Friday night again, 630 to 8, Saturday 8 o'clock to 3 and then Sunday evening we'll have VBS Family Night, and that'll be at 5 o'clock. So remember that this week and be praying for those services. Now, tonight I want to start 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to be looking again at verses 7 through verse number 11. Now, if you remember, two weeks ago when I was with you, last week we were on the mission trip, and I want to thank Brother Ben Harris for filling in and know that you got a hold of the truth of the Word of God last week, and so, Brother, we thank you for that. But the last time I was with you, we looked at 7 through 11, and I entitled that message, um, Getting Serious About Our Sainthood. And I just kind of hit the high points and didn't get to share with you all that I wanted to share with you. So I want to go back tonight 
and look at that again and really dig deep into what God's Word is saying to us. I'm telling you folks, I've been biting at the bit. I couldn't wait to get here tonight. I've been sitting on G, waiting on O, because I know if we can all get a hold of the truth that's found right here in verses 7 through 11, it'll change our lives. It'll change how we live tomorrow. It'll change how we treat our families. It'll change what we do in the house of God and outside the house of God. So I'm thankful to be able to have the privilege tonight of sharing with you just what God says right here in verses 7 through verse number 11. Now I'm entitled this getting serious about our saintly because that's what it says. Look with me if you will there in verse number 7. The word of God tells us that we ought to be sober. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober. Everybody say sober. Now that word sober actually means to be serious or to have a sound mind. And so what Peter is saying by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that we as the saints of God ought to be serious about what God has saved us to be and what God has saved us to do. We need to be serious about our sainthood. And I want you to know something. Each and every person in this room tonight can be put in one of two categories. Either you're a saint of God or you are a potential saint of God. See, if you're here tonight and you've placed your faith in Jesus, you've repented of your sins, you've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, and, and listen to me, folks, you, you, you've believed on Him as Savior, the Bible says that, listen, you are a saint of God. You're blood-bought. You're born again. You're a part of God's family. And if you're thankful for that tonight, say amen. Praise God. I'm thankful to be a saint of God. A saint of God uh, is one that is holy and righteous, one that's been set apart for God's purposes. And according to Romans chapter number 4, the Bible tells us that the righteousness of Christ has been imputed on the behalf of those who've placed their faith in Him. As we place our faith in Jesus, the Bible says it is counted unto us for righteousness. Isn't that amazing? That means that now, because you've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, when God looks upon you, He no longer sees you in your sin, but He sees you as a son and daughter of God. So now you are the saints, those who are righteous, those who are holy, those who are set apart for God's purpose. And listen, we're not righteous, we're not holy, not necessarily because of who we are or what we do, but because in whom we've trusted and what He's done for us. And so I'm thankful tonight to be a saint of God. And if you're here and you've not yet trusted in Jesus, you've not yet been born again into the family of God, you know the Holy Spirit hadn't made a difference on the inside that is making a difference on the outside. I've got great news for you. Before the night is over, you can be a saint of God. For the Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says that He will save anybody who calls upon Him. The Bible says, and we'll see it in just a minute, that He tasted death for every man. He's already done everything necessary for you to be born again to the family of God. So tonight, you're either a saint of God or you're a potential saint. And so this truth is uh, it's relevant for us all. It's a living word that teaches us what we need to know about who God is, who we are, and how much we need Him. And so let's look together in what we're supposed to be serious about. He tells us in verse number 7, we need to get serious. And then he spends the rest of this section of Scripture through verse number 11 telling us what we need to be serious about. And there's four things that I want to talk to you about tonight primarily. First of all, he says in verse number 7, be sober and watch unto prayer. So how many of you believe tonight we need to get serious about our prayer life? 
And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here because we spent the whole service last time we were together talking about the power of prayer, and rightly so, because I want us to be a praying people. I want us to be a praying church. Let me tell you why I say that. I want us to be a praying church, a praying people, for a praying church and a praying people is a powerful people. A praying church and a praying people sees the hand of God move in our midst. A praying church and a praying people experiences the manifest presence of God working in, working on, and working through lives. Can you say amen? And that's what I want. That's what we need. How many of you know if God don't do the work, the work won't get done? And so I'm asking God to do the work. James chapter 4 and verse number 2 says plainly that we have not because we ask not. What a pity. What a shame. I love J. Vernon McGee. Anybody know J. Vernon McGee? Through the Bible radio series. Man, I love that brother right there. He said, he said something years ago that stuck with me. I've never forgotten. He said he believed that there were blessings up in heaven getting moldy because people on earth didn't ask for them. And I agree with him. I don't know about you, but I'm going to start praying big prayers because I serve a big God. And I don't want to miss out on anything God has for me individually in my own personal life, in my own personal ministry. I don't want to miss out on anything God has for us collectively as a church body. I don't want to miss out on anything God wants for my life with, because I don't ask for it. And so we need to be a praying people. We need to start asking God to do what only God can do. Now, we talked about discipline in our prayer life and how that we're trying to create that by praying every day at 9 o'clock. And so, folks, I want to tell you, we know when to pray. Every morning at 9 o'clock as a church body, we're going to gather together and we're going to pray wherever we are that God does the work in His people that only He can do. So we know when to pray, but now listen to me. We also need to know what to pray. Let me give you three things to pray for, all right? And I want you to start praying for this every day. First of all, I want you to pray for God's power and presence. Let, let me tell you what I pray for. I pray that God, His power and presence is so strong in this place that when people pull up on this church campus, they can't help but feel the power of God, the presence of God. That's what I want. That's what we need. That's what we got to have. If lives are truly going to be changed, God has to do it. Folks, for far too long, the church, the modern church, has tried to get along without the power of God. And we've learned how to do church without God's power. That is a very scary thing. I want God to do the work. For if He does the work, it'll be done effectively. It'll be done right. And He, he can do stuff that none of us can do. Can you say amen? So pray for His power. Let me tell you something else. Again, pray for His people. Pray one for another. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for the needs that they have. If you have needs, make them known. If you've got prayer requested that, that you uh, uh, want God to answer, let your brothers and sisters in Jesus know it so we can pray about this stuff. Hey, get with Sister Heather Cook. She's doing her bulletin. She'll get you on the prayer list. That way we'll know what we need to specifically pray for in your life. Never be too prideful to ask for prayer. L let me say that again. Never be too prideful to ask for prayer. Because we are sometimes, aren't we? We're so independent, we want, to let it, we want everybody else to think we got it all figured out. We want everybody else to think we ain't got no trouble. 
We don't struggle. We don't have needs. Guess what? We've all got needs. We've all got struggle. If there's one thing the pastorate has taught me is that there is a need in every pew and a need in every pulpit. Make them known so that we can pray for you. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So what need you have? Pray for them. Pray for people. Let me give you another one. Pray for your pastor. You say, well, brother, that's, that's pretty selfish. You asking the church to, well, whatever, fine. Okay. But, but I want you to know, I'm just doing what Paul did. You know what Paul told the church at Ephesus? He said, you pray that God would make known the mystery of the gospel boldly through me. And I'm asking you to do the same thing that God would give me utterance to make known the mystery of the gospel boldly. Folks, listen to me. I cannot give you what you need. I, not in my power, not in my ability. I need God to speak to me and I need God to speak through me. And what you need more than anything else is for me to be filled up with the presence, with the power of God, with the word of God and give you what you need, what I need, what we need. And without God's power and presence at work in my life, that can't happen. So I'm asking you, please pray for me. Let me tell you something, I don't want to be a hindrance. I want to be a help. I, I don't want to discourage, I want to encourage. I don't want to tear down, I want to build up. And the only way that's going to be possible is if God does the work. Believe me, I've messed up a lot. I'll mess up again, I'm only human. I need your prayers. Pray for, first of all, the power of God to be real among us. Secondly, for the people of God, whatever needs we might have, pray for your pastor. Pray for all these things when we come together in the morning and pray. Oh, it's so powerful when God's people pray. When God's people pray, things happen. Dr. Tony Evans, I'll give this to you again. I just can't get over it because it, it's just powerful how he says this. That brother says a lot right, and he sure said this right concerning prayer. He said that prayer is earthly permission for heavenly intervention. You know what he's trying to say? He's trying to say that when God's people pray, God's pro God promises to release his power on that situation. Wow. But we've got to be willing to do that. So we need to be a praying people. We've got to get serious about our prayer life. We've got to get serious not only about our prayer life, we've got to get serious about loving others. Look how he puts this. 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verse number 8, he says, And above all things, everybody say above all things. Above all things, above all things, above everything else, above all things. He says that we are to show fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, what does it mean when he says show fervent charity? What does charity mean, church? Yeah, he's talking about, he's talking about love here. When, when you see charity in the New Testament, that's love. As a matter of fact, in the Amplified Version, let me read this to you. Above all things, have intense and unfailing love one for another. I like how it puts that. That's fervent charity. Intense and unfailing love. That's good stuff. And that's what we need among the people of God. Above everything else. 
I, I was just um, talking to a brother yesterday, dear brother in Christ, pastor friend of mine. He called me up and was, and was sharing with me some things that was going on in his church. How the, there was fighting and squabbling and the church was about to split over something stupid. You know, that's usually what happens. Satan gets in and starts messing with prideful people. They start wanting their way and getting in their little cliques. Before long, you got a little click over here that wants their way, and you got a little click over here that wants their way. And those cliques get to feuding back and forth. And when that takes place, everything that God wants to do and is trying to do can be hindered and hurt inside the body of Christ. And when he's telling me all that was going on, man, it just broke my heart. Let me tell you why. Because if there's one thing the world is looking for, it's love. If there's one thing the world needs, it's, it's true love. And, and if they're going to see it, and if they're going to find real love, agape love, listen, the only place they're going to find that is inside the body of Christ. Let me tell you why. Because we're the only ones that's been given God's love. Do you know that? Look with me, if you will, please. Keep your place there in 1 Peter chapter 4 and flip over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And look down. Let's just start with verse 1. All of this is good. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore being justified. Everybody tell me what justified means. To be made right. So let's read it like that. Therefore being made right in the eyes of God by faith. How are we made right? By faith. In whom? In Christ. Being made right by faith, we have peace with God through, there it is, our Lord Jesus Christ. To, by whom also we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand. Oh, praise Jesus for that. How do we experience grace? How do we become partakers of grace? Through Jesus, because of Jesus, by faith. And we rejoice in hope, the glory of God. How many of you know, we only have hope if we've experienced grace. That's, that's the picture here in verse 2. People who have not yet experienced the grace of God has no hope. That's a sad state, isn't it? I feel sorry for people outside the grace of God. I feel sorry for lost people. They truly have no hope. He goes on and says this, verse 3, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Now watch this, verse 5, And hope makes not a shame, because the love of God, watch this now, is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So here's the picture. He says in Romans 5 and verse 1 that we are made right by faith. By faith in whom? So when we place our faith in Jesus, listen to me, we experience the grace of God. Because we've experienced the grace of God, guess what happens? We have hope. Hope for what? Hope for a better tomorrow? Hope for abundant life now? Hope for eternal life throughout the ages? Hope to, listen, be partakers of the promises of God. We have hope because we've experienced grace. And then he says, the love of God is shed abroad into our hearts. So whom do the, to whom does the love of God come? It's to the people of faith. 
How many times have you ever heard me say that you'll never love your wife like you're supposed to love your wife until you know Jesus? That's the truth. You'll never love your kids like you're supposed to love your kids, like you can love your kids until you know Jesus. You'll certainly never love people in the world like you're supposed to love people in the world until you know Jesus. Uh, folks, I'm telling you, the love of God is shed abroad into the hearts of the people of faith. That's amazing. I love that. And so listen to me. If we are the people of faith, if we claim the name of Christ, we ought to be the people of love. And if there's one thing the world has enough of, it's fighting and squabbling and fussing and little cliques out there. They don't need that in here. They get all of that they can handle in the world. What they need in here is to see people loving each other with the love of Jesus. Now, good thing. Because Jesus said that's how they're going to know that you're my disciple. Right? John 13, 33. Watch this. 33, 34, and 35. He says it like this. I love it. He, he says, Likewise, children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, Whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you. So Jesus says to his disciples, I'm about to go back to the Father. You can't come with me right now. Then he says in verse 34, Before I go, I'm going to give you a new commandment. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. So what did he, what did he say? Is this, a, is this a suggestion? How do you know sometimes how we treat it? Isn't it? This is not a suggestion for the disciple, for the follower of Christ. This is a commandment. Now, why do I say that? Because guess what? There's going to be times in your life when dealing with people that you ain't going to feel like loving them. They're going to make you mad. They're going to do things that's not pleasing to you. You ain't going to see eye to eye on certain things. And you ain't going to feel like loving them. And so in those times, we've got to remember, it's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. How I many you know, love is more than just a feeling. Love is a choice. I've experienced that in my marriage. There has been many times that my wife has told me, Honey, now I'm choosing to love you. Now, it's not necessarily, not, what she's, I know what she's saying. I'm reading behind the, between the lines there. She's saying, I don't feel like loving you. I don't really want to love you right now, but I'm choosing to love you. And how do you know we all have to do that? In our marriage, yes. Anybody ever had to do that with your kids? You ever had to do that in church? Sure. Why? Because we're still in this flesh. We're imperfect people and we remember love is a commandment, not a suggestion. And Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you as I have loved you, you love one another. Now let me say something to you. I'm thankful for Romans 5, 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the person, the Holy Spirit that's given to us. 
Because in my own power, in my own ability, I can't love like Jesus loves. Jesus loves unconditionally. Jesus loves sacrificially. Jesus loves me in spite of me. And Jesus loves you in spite of you. And if I am commanded in this flesh while I'm still walking around in this earthly house, if I'm commanded to love like Jesus loves, it takes His power to do it. His life in the person of the Holy Spirit living in me and loving through me, that's the only way it's possible. Amen? And then He goes on and says, verse number 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. So by what? All men are going to know that we are followers of Christ. By what? By the love we show one another. Notice what he says. He says by the love we show one another. Everybody's going to know that you're my disciples. Notice what he doesn't say. Now, y'all know me. I love talking about the doctrines of Scripture. I love that. I mean, I'll get up early in the morning and sit up late at night to talk with you about the doctrines of Scripture. I like discussing apologetics. I love that. I think that, that we ought to know what we believe and why we believe it. Amen? I enjoy that stuff. If you're looking for somebody to talk Scripture with, holler at me, man. We'll talk all you want to talk. I'm not saying I've got all the answers because I don't. Matter of fact, the more I've studied, the more I find out that I don't know. But I will say this, we'll dig in the Word of God together and we'll see how we can grow in Christ. Amen? We'll definitely do that. So I love talking about all that stuff. But notice what Jesus says, and notice what He doesn't say. He does not say by this, by the fact that you have the best argument for your faith, everybody's going to know that you're my disciple. That's not what He says, is it? He, he don't even say... By this, the fact that you um, know a lot of Scripture by heart, everybody's going to know that you're my disciple. He don't say that, does he? Anything wrong with knowing a lot of Scripture? Anything wrong with being able to defend the faith and have a good argument? Absolutely not. All those are good things. But if they're done without love, they mean nothing. They mean nothing. And I would argue one of the best ways, probably the best way to show someone love is give them truth. However, if you don't give them truth in love, a lot of times you'll do more harm than you do good. Let me tell you why I say that. Because I've met a lot of people who will spit Bible verses at you in a condescending way. And tell you just how bad you are, just how much you failed. And I'm telling you, come across as the most pharisaical, legalistic jerk that I've ever been around. You ever been around those people? And guess what happens? People that are lost, they reject that junk. And let me say something else, I reject it too. I reject it too. I was at my workplace when, I may have told you this story, but I was at my workplace one Monday morning. I'll never forget it. 
And we're all sitting around in there, probably 30 of us, getting ready to have our, get our assignments for the day, what we're supposed to go out and do. And there was a man in there whom everybody knew had a drinking problem. Everybody knew it. He knew it. He'd tell you that he did. I'm going to tell you, I love the guy, still love the guy. One of my best friends, as a matter of fact. I, I thank the world of him. But everybody knew that he had a problem with alcohol. And so there's this other dude sitting there around the, the table in the, in the general vicinity of where this guy's sitting. And he comes in and he did it, man. He looked pretty rough, you know, and he was, he was wore down. You could tell he had had a long night, probably been up all night. And he, he just pretty much drug himself into work, sat down there at the table. And as soon as he sat down, this guy over here wants to show how much Bible he knows and starts just tearing this man down right in front of everybody. Telling about how wrong he is and what God's word says about how you ain't supposed to do this and you ain't supposed to do that and quoting scripture. And number one, it embarrassed that guy and shamed him in front of everybody. There was no love in it. And that made me sick to my stomach. That's not who we are. Let me tell you what that comes from. That, that type of attitude, that type of stuff comes from the self-righteous crowd who sits way up on their high horse and looks down at everybody else. Not realizing, except by the grace of God, that's me. Amen? You say, well, brothers, does that mean that we just condone sin? Absolutely not. We call sin what it is. Right's right, wrong's wrong. Sin's black, hell's hot, Jesus saves. And we'll keep preaching that. But if you're not doing it with love, Believe me, you'll do more harm than good. And you'll turn people off to the gospel. I remember when I was a little boy, my grandma, whom I loved dearly and who loved me dearly, I was a mama's boy. I had a cold one winter. And my grandma mixed up some cold medicine, cough syrup. Anybody ever had any grandma's cough syrup? I'm going to tell you something. You could have not, nobody could have hogtied me down, even as a seven, eight-year-old boy, and made me drink grandma's cough syrup. That was the nastiest tasting junk that I have ever put in my mouth. But let me tell you something. If Momo asked me to take the cough syrup, guess what I'd do? That's exactly right. I'd take the cough syrup as much as she wanted to give me. Let me tell you why. Because I knew if this woman who loved me so much, if she was going to give it to me, it's going to help me. The Word of God is good medicine. But if it's given without love, it's going to cause people to reject the truth you give. Amen? Amen? See, you got to love. you got to love one another. 
Hey, folks, listen to me. There are no perfect pastors, no perfect churches, no perfect people. We're all growing in our faith. We all need the grace of God daily. There's going to be trouble in this church. There's going to be trouble in every church. But if there is trouble, let's work it out like brothers and sisters in Christ and love one another so that people looking from the outside in would know that we are the disciples of Christ. Amen? Now I say that to say this. If you've got a problem with your pastor, come see me. Let's deal with it the way the Word of God says to deal with it. If you've got a problem with a brother or sister in Christ across the aisle, go see them one-on-one and deal with it the way the Word of God says deal with it according to Matthew 18. Love one another. Oh, it's so important. It's vital. That's why it says above all else, love one another. We love the lost. We love the saved. Just like Galatians chapter 6 says, especially to those of the household of faith, do good. We get serious about loving one another. Oh, it's so powerful when man, people see the real thing. When people see the people of God loving one another, it's an amazing thing. It opens all kinds of doors for us to share about why that's possible, how that's possible. We become lights in a dark place. We need to get serious about our prayer life. We need to get serious about loving one another. We need to get serious about hospitality. Amen? First Peter chapter 4, watch this. Verse number nine, use hospitality one to another without grudging. What is hospitality? Hospitality is generously receiving guests, visitors, and strangers in a friendly manner. Now, how many know we ought to be hospitable people wherever we are? Do you know we ought to be hospitable people in our homes and receive guests into our homes in a friendly manner? I learned more about hospitality than in Haiti than anywhere else. The first time that me and my wife ever went to Haiti, we were working in a, in a town in Haiti called Giton. And in Giton, they had a church there that was just changing the, the landscape of the whole community. It was amazing to see. God was using that church and working in that place and among those people in a fantastic way. People getting saved everywhere. Revival was breaking out in Giton, Haiti because God was at work in his church. It was powerful. I loved it. Hunger for it. I love seeing stuff like that. And so we was down there, and, and um, what we do, we was building a house for some of the members of the church in the morning time, and then and, and uh, Miss Brandy was doing backyard Bible clubs. I was working on the house. And then at lunchtime, we would all go out in the community to share the gospel. When I'm talking about community, I, it really just looked like a jungle. That'd just be a jungle and with little trails going everywhere. And you go off on this little trail, and you go out there, and there'd be three or four houses in a little clump. And you go out on this little trail, and there'd be three or four houses in the clump. And you just, you do like he's going in the middle of nowhere, but there'd just be houses uh, in, in little clumps all the way out in, in through that, that jungle area that we were walking in. And so we walked up on this house, and um, we had a translator with us. He walks up, and he, he begins telling the lady inside the house who we were. And, uh, and, and she invited us in. 
and told us that she was so glad that we were there, you know, and, and, and the, the, the house was nothing more than really just a, uh, like a mud hut is the best way I know how to describe it. Had a thatched roof, um, uh, clay-looking walls, dirt floors. Now, on the inside, you could tell that this woman was a great housekeeper. I mean, I could see when I walked in that the dirt floor had been swept recently. You could still see the, the uh, uh, marks of the broom that she had used over the dirt floor. In that little room that she had, which was about a 10 by 12, it was her, her husband, and then she had three kids. And, and they had two chairs. That was for her and her husband. And then the kids were just sitting there on the dirt floor when we walked in. Matter of fact, they just began eating something, looked like some rice. She had a little place on the outside of the house that she cooked in under a little shed. And so she was, uh, the kids were sitting there eating. The husband was sitting down in his chair eating. And when we walked in, she made her husband get up. And so her husband's sitting there. And she's like, she's slapping him on the arm, you know. And he acts like he don't much want to give up. She keeps slapping him harder. And pretty soon... He gets on up, and then she makes me and my wife sit down. And I thought about that for a minute. This was quite possibly the first time this woman had ever seen a white man from a different country who didn't speak her language walk up to her door and the first thing she did was insist that we come in. Made her husband get out of his favorite chair. And guys, you know about the favorite chair, don't you? Who sits in the captain's seat? The captain. That brother had the captain's seat just like he liked it, eating his bowl of rice. We come in. And she makes him get up. We sat down. Got to talking about scripture. She was a believer. She actually went to the church. And I'm going to tell you something. We had church. Right there in that mud hut. In the middle of the jungle in Haiti. The Lord blessed us. And I felt as much at home. Sitting in that mud hut as in any house I've ever stepped foot in. I could tell they really wanted me there. And that's what hospitality is. I mean, I've been in some houses where they let you in, but they didn't really want you in. You could tell it. You could feel it. Couldn't you? Y'all been there? You didn't feel welcome in that home. I felt welcome, and I thought, how would I react if the tables were turned? I think we all need to ask ourselves that question, don't we? We were to be hospitable at home before I left. The man of the house called me to the side, and he, through the interpreter, said, uh, I'll never forget it. He said, I want to be a better man of God. Would you pray for me that I'll be a better man of God? And I, I thought, not a whole lot of difference in a mud hut in Haiti and 1246 Roberts Road in Hamilton, Alabama, because he's wanting the same thing I'm wanting. 
And I prayed for him that he'd be a better man of God, a better husband, a better father, a better witness. And then he turned around and prayed for me that I'd be a better man of God, a better husband, a better father, a better witness. And I felt hospitality like never before. You know, that's the way it should be in our homes. Be hospitable at home. Let me say something else. Be hospitable at your workplace. Be hospitable riding down the road. Let me tell you what I mean by this. Some very practical things. You know what happens in the morning usually. You pull up at the red light on your way to work early in the morning. You look over to the man or the woman beside you, and they look just like they've been baptized in pickle juice. You know what I'm talking about? They're like you're about to cry. I'll be honest. I've been there. Not everybody's a morning person. A lot, of, a, lot, <laughs> a lot of people hate their job. A lot of people just don't know Jesus. So they got nothing to smile about. They've got no hope, really. And so they, you pull up to the red light. You look over there, and, and man, it, it, they're, they're, it looks, you can tell their heart's broken by the look on their face. Let me encourage you to do something. In the morning when that happens, and you pull up to that red light, I want you to honk your horn so that you can get their attention, wave at them and smile and say, good morning. Why not? Why not? Be friendly. When you walk into your workplace, be friendly. Speak to people. It makes me so stinking mad when people won't speak to me. Is, are you that way? I'll be honest. I, sometimes I got to pray about it. I get offended. I mean... From Board Tree Bottom, if we're riding down the road and I stick one finger up when I pass you on the road, what do you do? Stick a finger up. If I give you a little more, what do you do? Give me a little more. Nothing wrong with it. Be hospitable. Be friendly. You know what the scripture says in the book of Proverbs? If a man wants friends, he's got to show himself friendly. Got to show yourself friendly. So when you walk into your workplace in the morning, speak to everybody you can speak to as you're walking in. Tell them good morning. Have a good day when they leave you. And folks, that little bitty, this very practical little bitty thing that seems real small can make a big difference in somebody's day. It really can. So try it. Be hospitable at your workplace. The old grouchy dude that nobody wants to talk to because he's so grouchy, go out of your way to speak to him. Y'all know the one I'm talking about. Everybody's got one. Be hospitable at your workplace. Let me give you another one. Be hospitable at your church. Be hospitable at your church. Be hospitable at your church. Do not let anyone come in these doors without you telling them you're glad they're here. Even if they know it. Amen? Even if they know it. Even if they're here every time you see them, just go ahead and tell them, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to see you. Let me tell you why. That's what family does. Amen? Statistics tell us that when a visitor comes to a church for the first time, within seven minutes of pulling on the property, they know whether or not they're ever coming back. Seven minutes. When I read that, that blew me away completely. Let me tell you why. Because nobody's heard the sermon in seven minutes. Nobody's heard this brother stand up and, 
um, uh, share the gospel through song in seven minutes. Nobody's been to a Sunday school class in seven minutes. Nobody's read a bulletin in seven minutes. Nobody's had much time to do anything in seven minutes. So what, what does that statistic tell us as a people of God? How hospitable are we? Do people feel welcome when they walk in the door? We can all take part in that. And we all should take part in that. Man, it's important and it's powerful. Show the love of Christ. Receive people generously in a friendly manner. Be hospitable and get serious about it. Amen? Get serious about it. Get serious about serving, verse 10 tells us. Look what it says there. And every man hath received the gift. Everybody say the gift. Even so minister or serve the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know by the grace of God you've been given a spiritual gift. Every one of you. Everybody in this place that is a believer has been given a spiritual gift. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 4 through 13. I'm not going to flip over there tonight for lack of time, but I want you to write that scripture down and allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to you in that during your quiet time. Pray about it. Ask God to speak to your heart and show you what 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 13 means. But what he's saying there in a nutshell is that we have all in the body of Christ as many members making up one body, we all have differing spiritual gifts. Everybody's got one. And we've been given those gifts so that we might serve one another. And how I many you know you show the love of Christ by serving others? Let me go a step further. You've been given spiritual gifts, but you also have talents and abilities that you can use to serve Jesus by loving others. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Some of you are fantastic cooks. I don't know who done it. If you done it, praise God for you. Sunday morning, somebody made two big old chocolate cakes. Chocolate on chocolate in a silver pan, about this deep. I'm going to tell you something. That is the best chocolate cake I've ever ate in my life. We got the rest of it when we left. All y'all left, left the chocolate cake. I took it with me. When I got home, I ate four pieces and a half a gallon of milk. And I ain't ashamed of it. It's fantastic. Loved it. Somebody has some talent in baking some cakes. Do you know you can use that talent for the glory of God? Somebody, be, somebody may be going through a tough time. Somebody may be going through hardships. Somebody may just need to know somebody else is thinking about them. Let me tell you what you do. Use that talent you've got. Bake them a cake and carry it to them. 
And if he can't find nobody else to give it to. <laughs> Show the love of Jesus, I'm just saying. Some of you men have a talent with a hammer and nail. You know how to build stuff. Our men's group on several occasions has went out in the community, built wheelchair ramps and porches. We went over here in Hodges and tore half a house off and put it back. Praise God. I was a tear downer. I'm a good at tearing stuff up. I can tear anything up. Not real good at putting it back, but hey, if I got a talent to tear stuff up, I love to hit stuff with a hammer. I love it. So if I can do that for the honor and glory of God and show the love of Jesus by serving others, I can use that talent. may not be much, but I can use it. Somebody else then can come along with their talent and put it back. You see how this works? And so then every member, being many, serve in one body of the Lord Jesus Christ being his hands and feet. Some of y'all can work on cars, praise God. You can be a blessing to others by doing that. You've got talents and abilities for that. Whatever you, you've got talents of, you can use that for God's glory. We've got to get serious about our serving. Amen? Whatever that looks like in your life. The final one, we've got to get serious about our speaking. This one really hit home with me. Verse number 11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. I love the Rick and Bubba morning show. I listen to them every morning. been listening to them for the last 20 years. And uh, so that's one of my daily rituals that I do. I'm in a truck a lot of the day, and so most days. And so um, uh, when I'm in that truck, I'm usually listening from about 6 in the morning till about 10 in the morning. I'm listening to the Rick and Bubba show. And they had a saying for years that they'd always say when someone said something out of the way during their show, they'd say, hey, buddy, you broadcast it. And... Um, you know what I found out? A lot of people are listening when you don't even think they're listening. I was at a revival service two weeks ago at Barnesville Baptist Church. Preached on a Monday night. The pastor who's at Barnesville, I was his pastor for almost 10 years. This brother gets up and pretty much gives me a word-for-word -word conversation that we had. It's been at least 12 years ago now. Tells me, I was like, I don't, even, I don't even remember saying that. But he was telling me word-for-word -word what was said in that conversation, in this message and in that message. And that hit home with me. Sometimes you think people ain't even listening, but they are. You know something, Sunday school teachers? I bet you've got some little ones in your Sunday school class that are running buck wild on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or whenever you're teaching them and you're thinking they ain't getting a word I'm saying, I can promise you they're listening more than you think they're listening. And so we need to be serious about how we speak, realizing that as the people of God, when we speak, we speak as the oracles or the mouthpiece of God to people. And do you know that we can speak life according to the scripture, or we can speak death. And there's power in the tongue, according to the word of God. 
So we got to get serious about our speaking. How do we do it? Look what he says in the next part of this. If any man minister or serve, let him do it as the ability which God giveth. If I serve in the way of speaking, I need to be speaking not in my ability, but in God's ability. Not in my power, but in His. And so, man, throughout the day, as God gives you opportunity to speak to people, pray this little prayer. You don't got to pray it out loud so everybody hears you. God hears you when you just pray to yourself. He hears that. Amen. And, and when somebody's asking you for advice or telling you about a problem, you know what I'm always saying? Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, help me to speak truth in love. Help me to give them what they need. Lord, speak to me and speak through me. Use me in this situation to help her, to help him, to help them. Give me something, God. I need it. I can't do it. But I want to help them. I got to help them. Are you getting me? As God gives you ability, get serious about how you speak. Speak life. We need some encouragers. Too many discouragers. Amen? I get so stinking sick of negative people. I'm going to be honest with you. I just tune you out. Usually when you start getting negative with me, I may be looking at you, but I ain't listening to you. Let me tell you why that stuff rubs off on you. You stay around that long enough, you'll get negative too. I'm, I'm too blessed to live negatively. Amen. I'm a son of God. God's called me. God saved me. God uses me when I allow Him to, when I don't get in the way. And so I'm not going to get in the way by being negative over what He's doing. I'm not saying you don't deal with problems. I'm not saying you don't address issues. Surely you do that. We always do that. But we always do it with a mindset that God is able. My goodness. Not everything's bad. Be careful how you speak. Speak as the oracles of God. Get serious about your speech. So that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom be praise and dominion forever and forever. Amen. Let's get serious about this thing, man. We've been called out of the darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus. Jesus, when ending his earthly ministry, he kept telling his disciples, I am the light of the world. Then at the end of that thing, he says, Ye are the light of the world. What was he saying? Now it's you that is to go forth into a dark place. And shed the light of God's love, God's truth. Amen? <laughs> Boy, I tell you what. Like I said, I feel sorry for people in darkness. I want to do everything I can to shed some light on that situation. Oh, God, use us to be light bearers. To reflect the light of Christ. As He shines on us and shines in us and shines through us. May we reflect His light to others that are in the dark. Help them out of the darkness they're in. Help them out of the bad situation. Help them out of the bad circumstance. Help them up when they've fallen down. Amen? We've been called out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. We've got to get serious about this thing. The Bible says we've been called as God's ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? How do you know as a child of God you've got dual citizenship? 
I'm a citizen of the United States of America, physically speaking, but you need to know I'm a citizen of heaven, spiritually speaking. And so as a citizen of heaven, I've become an ambassador in this world for the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? That means I make the interests known of the place I'm an ambassador for. We are ambassadors of heaven. Make the interest of God known day to day in people's lives. We are representatives of Him. This is a serious deal. Are you getting where I'm coming from? 2 Corinthians 4 and 3 says that if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. How do you know there is no plan B? If we don't share the truth, the truth will not be shared. If we don't love people, who's going to love them? If we don't make a difference, who is? Serious business. This sainthood thing is not something we ought to take lightly. It's amazing. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's powerful. Comments or questions?